Is arthritis caused by wear and tear, or is it by genetic predisposition? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Paul Lux, co-founding member of the Orthopedic Center of St. Louis. Dr. Lux is an internationally recognized expert in his field of total joint replacement. Welcome, Dr. Lux. Thanks for having me, Mark. Today, we will discuss arthritis. Dr. Lux, what exactly is the difference between osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis? Well, that's a good question, and that confuses a lot of my patients. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. It's something that can be tested for in the serum. It's a disease whereby the lining of the knee, the synovium, actually attacks the articular cartilage and destroys it. Rheumatoid arthritis can be treated uh, medically with disease-altering medications and is something that can affect basically any age person. Osteoarthritis, on the other hand, is a disease of wear and tear of the surface of the knee. It's a mechanical wearing out of the articular cartilage. In my practice, that's of the hip and of the knee. And osteoarthritis can be acquired either from trauma, from, from use, Certainly, there's a large genetic predisposition. In fact, if I see a 45-year-old person that has osteoarthritis of their knees, my first question is, has your mom or dad ever had a hip or knee problem? And most of the time, the answer is yes. Now, is osteoarthritis becoming more common because we're more active as a society? Absolutely. You know, it's an interesting statistic that the average life expectancy in 1900 was 45 years. And now we've almost, in 100 years, medicine has almost doubled that life expectancy. And our frames, our bodies are just not designed to go that far. If you talk to most people that have osteoarthritis, rarely do they have complaints before the age of 45, which genetically is how we're programmed to live. All these come about because at some point in our lives, a gene turns off that is there to repair the cartilage in our joints. And once that gene turns off, then the wear and tear starts to be appreciated in the joint. In other words, what you're saying is that when we are young, the defects in our cartilage are repaired by our own body? That's correct. The articular cartilage is nourished by the synovial fluid. The chondrocytes, the cells that make cartilage in the surface of the knee, actively divide and can repair the surface of the, in my case, the knee. As we get older, we lose that ability to repair our cartilage, and that is the process of osteoarthritis. It's the loss of the ability to repair the surface of a joint that leads to the wear and tear. Now, I'm sure that many patients think of orthopedic surgeons, as you are, as doing surgery, but I take it that a number of patients come to you with arthritic conditions that actually may not require surgery. Is that correct? Well, that's absolutely true. And, and certainly, uh, you know, my job is to help the patient live with their arthritis as best they can. We always start with the conservative things. These would include Tylenol uh, as a first line and then uh, the anti-inflammatory medications that are over the counter, such as Aleve or Advil. Then to some of the prescription medications, such as Celebrex, Relafin, Clinarel, some of the older 
anti-inflammatory medications that have become popular, again, with the removal of Vioxx from the market. Certainly, corticosteroid injections into, into any joint, whether it be a knee or, or a thumb, is very beneficial in helping people uh, live with osteoarthritis. When it gets to the point that all these conservative measures have failed and the patient's uh, quality of life or the function of their knee or their hip is suffering, that's when we start thinking about uh, joint replacement surgery. What is the difference between putting someone on a Medrol dose pack for five or seven or ten days versus keeping someone on low-dose steroids? I'm not a big believer in someone with osteoarthritis to be on low-dose steroids. I think that in the case of rheumatoid arthritis, it's still somewhat indicated, however, with these newer disease-altering medications, the Humeras, uh, the Embrils, the injectable rheumatoid arthritis drugs, I've seen less use of oral steroids. If somebody comes in and they're having a terrible arthritic flare-up in their hip or their, or their back, they've got something big planned, they're going on a big vacation in two weeks, I think a, a, a six-day Medrol dose pack is a great way to get them over this arthritic flare-up, but it's certainly something I wouldn't give to anyone more than twice a year. And finally, pathophysiologically, what is an arthritic flare-up? Well, that, that's a good question. Arthritic flare-up is when someone comes in, and we'll just use the knee, for example. It's sore, it's swollen, they're limping because of the pain. What happens is, in, in an arthritic condition, that small particles of the articular cartilage, cartilage are shed from the surface. This creates an increase in friction. And I tell my patients, it's almost like getting dust or sand in your eye, and, you're, and it wants to water, it wants to try to lubricate uh, the problem. And so the knee swells. And typically what we would call an effusion of the knee, our patients call water on the knee. And water on the knee is the body's attempt to try to smooth or soothe this irritated surface of the knee. The synovial lining makes this fluid. It makes the knee more swollen. It makes it more stiff. And it actually does not help the knee uh, recover. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Paul Lux, co-founding member of the Orthopedic Center of St. Louis. Dr. Lux is an internationally recognized expert in his field of total joint replacement. Today we are discussing arthritis. Dr. Lux, with more and more youngsters playing sports at greater intensity, do you see earlier osteoarthritis in these youngsters? Uh, absolutely. I think that, that our society, which is based on sports and on activity, we've seen a huge increase in the number of people in their 40s and 50s that need hip and knee replacement. And this has to do with uh, the baby boomers. I mean, we all performed much more and at a much higher level than, than our parents' generation. The problem is our skeletons aren't designed to go this far and put this many miles on it. And that leads to more and more people needing hip and knee replacement in their late 40s or 50s. You look at all these basketball players, football players, and other sports, and it seems that they're limping in their late 30s and, and 40s. Uh, well, correct. I mean, but, you know, those guys, they pay a huge price for being a professional athlete. I mean, uh, I can't tell you how many uh, ex 
football and baseball stars I've done hip and knee replacement on, but they truly pay a much, much greater price with their bodies than a typical high school or college athlete. They pay a price. I mean, there's no question about it, and it's, it's uh, I guess if that's the only way you can make a living, then that's how you make a living, but it, it is a very short-sighted uh, when it comes to your joints. If someone has a football injury or any kind of a sports injury to, let's say, their knee or their hips, does that mean absolutely that they will develop osteoarthritis prematurely in that joint? It's not a big plus. I can tell you that if you tear your ACL in your knee, your anterior cruciate ligament, and it is not fixed, which was very much the case for someone like me who's 50 years old, my friends that tore their ACL 30 years ago when they were 20, they have a 10 times greater risk of developing osteoarthritis in the knee. And the analogy I use is that that knee after the ACL is torn is too loose. It's almost like as you're driving down the highway and you see that tire going by on a bent axle and you see how it wobbles. Well, you know the tread's going to wear off that tire much faster than if the axle was straight. And that's very much like a knee that's lost its anterior cruciate ligament stability. Likewise, if you lose a portion of your meniscus, which is the cushion that sits between the upper and lower bone, if you lose 30% of your meniscus on the medial side, you increase the force across that knee 100%. It's not a linear progression. And so kids that tear their meniscus playing football and have a 30% of it taken out, they do very well for the first 10 or 15 or 20 years, but now you get into your 50s and uh, you're cartilage has worn away. Do external braces do anything? You know, external braces are helpful, but they certainly don't prevent the arthritis. They certainly don't keep the knee from wearing, which is the most commonly braced joint. But we certainly have some braces called unloader braces that for most people, they have a varus deformity of their knee, which means they're bow-legged. And this brace actually puts a valgus or knock-kneed stress on the knee to unload the surface of the knee. Now, it doesn't keep the arthritis from getting worse. It doesn't prevent the inevitable. But it does help people live with what they have a little bit longer. The problem is they cost about $1,300. And if your insurance doesn't pay it, it's quite a bit to spend for a temporary measure. Well, when you say temporary measure, what exactly, how temporary is that? It may buy you a couple years before you ultimately need a knee replacement. But the thing to remember, and I tell my patients this, is I'm happy to prescribe this brace for you. It does not stop the process of the osteoarthritis progressing in your knee. How do you approach a young person, let's say in their 30s, with severe knee or hip pain versus someone in their 70s or 80s? Well, I think that if their x-rays show that there's no articular cartilage left, and it, you know, it doesn't really matter if the doctor says it's bone on bone or it's all worn out or there's no space left on the x-ray, that's most likely what we call osteoarthritis. The treatment is really the same. You know, I don't want to put a knee replacement in a 35-year-old, but if it's bone on bone and they can't walk two blocks, much less a mile, and they can't sleep through the night, we absolutely will do it, knowing that in 20 years, they may need a small operation to change out the worn piece of plastic. When I talk to a 70-year-old, I really don't talk much about wear, because chances are there's only about a 5% chance that a 70-year-old would need a revision surgery, that the knee or the hip replacement will last as long as they need it to. What is the youngest patient 
that you have ever had to replace a joint in? You know, I've done a hip replacement and a knee replacement on 17-year-olds. The one boy who had a hip replacement at age 17 had a bad car accident right after he got his driver's license, fractured his hip, and developed avascular necrosis. Uh, And the 17-year-old boy that needed his knee replacement had a similar uh, type of accident that damaged the articular surface of his knee, and he developed post-traumatic arthritis. What's interesting is both these boys, I told their parents they shouldn't do a lot of activities. So, of course, the boy with the knee replacement went on to become a high school football coach, (laughs) and the boy with the hip replacement went on to become a dancer in college. I want to thank Dr. Paul Lux, who has been our guest. We have been discussing arthritis. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill. And you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.